You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 136 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, and we are sponsored by our beautiful, awesome Patreon patrons on Patreon. Yeah, that's where that is. That's where Patreon patrons are on Patreon. I forgot. And thank you so much to GameMat.eu for supporting the show. They sell pre-painted terrain and wonderful game mats of all shapes and sizes. So, what are we talking about? We are talking about a interview with Irregular Magazine, which is a wargaming, a quarterly wargaming magazine, Irregular Magazine, and talking about the creation of the magazine, the origin story, and how, what it's like to run a magazine in this day and age, and all of that. It's, I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, hopefully you'll like it too. And we also have a pretty short Tesseract mailbox from, uh, from Luke. Yeah, it was from Luke. And he is asking where the Shorehammer segment went. Because normally after every Shorehammer, one of these episodes or a couple episodes end up with the Shorehammer segment. So I, I tell you where that goes or went or whatever. I also briefly cover the Severnth, Sever, the Seventh Wind, or whatever from Lumineth Realm Lords, and whether or not I want that. So, um, what have I been up to? Well, I've been still writing short stories for Brutality, and I have been... Uh, I've actually taken a little bit of time off the supplement, because um, you kind of get burned out after a little while, but uh, that's about probably 50% done. And I've been painting uh, Night Haunt models because I've finally decided to start playing my Night Haunt. It's been years, and they've been on a shelf, and I never really used them. So uh, that's what I'm doing. I've got uh, 20 Miramorn Banshees that I am... Um, no, 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 no. Dreadscythe Herodans. Dreadscythe Herodans. I've got 20 of those that I'm painting currently. And uh, some Grimgas Reapers and a bunch of other stuff. It's been pretty fun. You know, prime them white, wash them blue, dry brush them white, and then add details. Super, super easy. And um, I got to play, you know, I don't even know. Oh, I played Brutality this week. with. Um, I basically demoed for new player Elijah, um, who is not a new player to our group, but he's a new player to Brutality. He beat me 7-5. to five. It was a good game. And um, then I also played with James. We played Age of Sigmar because I was itching to play some Night Haunt. And uh, he whooped my butt with his Slanesh demons. I mean, I mean, the new Heed Knights of Slanesh really, really whooped my butt. And basically everything I was good at, he just shut down. He was giving my people minus one to hit. He was making them fight last. He was making them not be able to pile in an attack. He was, it was just nuts. And the first turn of the game, he made really good charges and my... Dreadblade, my Dread Scythe Herodans, my unit of 20, he killed 15 of them in one turn, which basically makes me auto-fail the Battleshock, because, you know, they're bravery 10, but when you lose 15 of them, that's, you know, that's well beyond your bravery, so... That was not really that fun, but you know what? That was another game where even James could uh, agree with me that I was rolling terrible. And I've had several of those games lately where I just rolled awful. Now, Brutality, I didn't roll bad this Wednesday. But um, just a couple of Warhammer games just rolled garbage. And uh, this was just like playing Trevor the other night. When I played Trevor and when I played James both times, I was like, dear God, when is this game over? Because it's just so bad. 
And, um, you know, the problem with Night Haunt is, like, it's really all or nothing. Because they ignore Rend and all that, which is great. And if they have four-up saves, that's great. But they're all just one wound. So even with the six-up Feel No Pain or whatever, it's really not a whole lot. So, and and really, the problem is, is the multi-damage. So when you hit something with three damage or whatever, all I gotta do is fail one four-up save, and the... The ethereal saves from the other two models that are going to die are completely ignored. So that's that's a little irritating. If it was wounded like 40k is, where the damage doesn't spill over, then they would be much better. But I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that when it's all up to me rolling one 4-up save and I'm rolling garbage, then they are not going to end well, and they really didn't. I think he tabled me. I think he did actually table me which was pretty nuts. And uh, we did some stuff to them, but he beat me by not like a horrible uh, threshold. It was like 12 to 8 or, or something like that, 10 to 5 or something like that. So it wasn't terrible, but the game was pretty darn miserable. So he mopped the floor with my Night Haunt. But um, now that we got that you know f- new model curse out of the way, because your new model always dies first... Now that we got that out of the way, hopefully they'll do a little better for me. And um, what else I have been up to? Work is starting to pick up. It's that time of year again, season and all. So that's that's super exciting. And I think that's about it. So I'm sure I'm, you know, I'm actually positive that I'm forgetting something, but I don't know what to tell you. Um, We do have a Brutality Gauntlet tournament coming up in a couple weeks, two weeks or so. And I am very excited about that locally. And um, it's a format of tournament I came up with where you don't play against the other person. Um, Half the players in round one play the gauntlet with their team. And while they're playing the gauntlet, the other half of the players run the gauntlet for them, play all the AI, the NPC models, and keep track of all that. And then the second round, it flips and then the person that was running the gauntlet gets to run their team through it. And it's basically who can amass the most money and kill points and get the farthest in the tournament. So it's, I'm very excited about it, but that's about it. I've been painting a rat war band for it. So I'm excited. This I've used this to inspire me to paint another war band as if I needed another war band. And that is about it. So I, it took me a long time. This might be a slightly, shorter than normal um, episode, but it took me a long time to edit the conversation with Irregular Magazine because we had some uh, connection issues. And I don't know whether it was me or him, but a couple times he faded in and out and things like that. I got most of it cleared up and um, the audio quality in the very beginning is worse than it is the rest of the time. It actually gets better over time. So try to stick with it. I think it's pretty interesting, um, especially being a magazine in this day and age and a non-GW magazine. So, all right. Well, I will let you get to the next segment. And thank you for listening to the show. Tell your friends and support us on Patreon and all of that good stuff. Later. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey, it's the Tesseract Mailbox, and last week I was begging for people to write in, and luckily I got a message the very next day from Luke, Luke from Minnesota, and while we talked for a little while, this was basically the gist of his message. It was via Facebook Messenger, and he writes, Hey Mr. Cron, I've been looking forward to your open discussion from Shorehammer each year, and while you sometimes cover the same topics, it's nice to get a lot of different views. 
I have listened to every episode since Shorehammer, and I have not heard it. Where did it go? Are you still going to include it in an episode? Luke from Minnesota. Thank you for writing in, Luke. Um, I have actually already answered this for you, but I will answer it for everybody else, if anybody else was wondering. Uh, we did record an open discussion this year at Shorehammer, and I am a little embarrassed to admit that I don't know where that is. I assume it is saved somewhere on my computer, but I don't know what the file was called or where it was saved. So I have done several search functions trying to figure out, you know, Shorehammer discussion, Shorehammer open talk, uh, roundtable, Pimcron, blah, blah, blah. I've recorded it. I mean, I've searched on it several different terms and I cannot find where it is. I do remember saving it, but I don't know where and I don't know what it was saved as. So um, the previous years, open discussions show up when I search or at least one of them does. I think it was 2019. And, but I have no idea what happened to the 2021. So sorry for everyone that was involved in that, because I've got no idea what I did with it. And, uh, you know, a lot of things are going on during Shorehammer, so it's easy to mess up. I don't know if I saved it, or maybe it was my brother Brooks that saved it. Um, actually, you know, typed in the save file name. But either way, it is lost to the, uh, lost to time. So unfortunately, Luke, and everyone else that was looking forward to it, I don't know where it went. And that is unfortunate because we had a good discussion and uh, it was basically, you know, one of the big topics this year was that we were discussing how we kind of need to use peer pressure to make sure that our players and our communities aren't dicks. And that's basically what a, a good portion of it was. And basically it was saying that you should tell people when they're being jerks, hey, uh, we don't we don't actually play like that or hey hey guess what can you just tone it down just a little bit or don't play the person if the person always brings super cheese then quit playing them and eventually they're either going to leave or they're going to change their ways and that was basically the big discussion this year so unfortunately i don't have the record for it but thank you for writing in you can email me at pimpcron at gmail.com with a second p or at facebook.com slash pimcron without a second P. And uh, write me a letter because this is the only letter I got this week. You guys are letting up on the job. So write in. We love to hear from you. And let's go into the next segment. Want that or want that not? Well, what do you know? It's time for Want That or Want That Not again with the Pimcron. And today... We are discussing a pretty cool thing. It's called Severith, Lord of the Seventh Wind. You know, let's start off with the name here. I don't feel like if you are Lord of the Seventh Wind, your name should start with Sev. I just feel like that's the Severeth. So it's got the only difference between its first name and Lord of the Blank is that it's got an IR in place of an N. That's basically it. Severith and Seventh. It's just too close. GW, you need to stop. This is just too close to as... I mean, I don't like it. But anyway, I don't know if that's why they call that that. But uh, Severith, Lord of the Seventh Wind, is a new model for the... What are they called? <laughs> I am drawing a complete blank. Lumineth Realm Lords. And uh, they're the, it's a new model for the new release of Lumineth Realm Lords. And it is got the cool spiral wind thing going on, kind of like the Celestant Prime, 
for Stormcast, where he's got that swirly nonsense holding him up. And this is like a... To me, at first glance, it looks like a fox. But it's got horns, so I guess it's not a fox. But it's like a person in a suit of armor with a fox tail and seemingly fox feet and a fox face, but horns. And it's got a very impressive quiver on its back, full of arrows, and I mean full of arrows. You should take a look at it. He's got so many arrows, I feel like he's holding other people's arrows. Like, he's a real chump, and everyone just pushes him over. And like, here, hold my arrows, a-hole. And that's basically what it is. This guy, he's cool, he's floating, he's a fox with horns, he's got a bow and arrow, but the arrows he's holding are a lot. I don't know what... Once again, this is a cool aesthetic. It's just strange, but that's fine. And, um... It is $55. He is a character. I think he's the guy that can destroy terrain features, like army terrain features, like your Gloom Spite Moon or your Bone Nexus or whatever. I think he's the one. He also actually makes the Hurricane Spirit of the Wind. And to be honest with you, I don't know which one destroys the terrain, but I'm not here to talk about rules anyway. It is painted well. It's a cool looking model. I don't foresee myself playing Lumineth Realm Lords, but I do see myself getting this if I was into Lumineth Realm Lords. So, definitely think it's a good model. It's very unique. It's, once again, something that GW did a good job in doing that you could not find anywhere else. Because, I mean, how many foxes do you know with a bow and arrow flying, like, on the wind in this vortex of wind with horns? It's almost like they throw idea, like, darts at an idea board. And you're like... Oh, oh, this okay. This guy's gonna be an archer, and oh, it's gonna oh a fox. That's interesting. Now let's look for accessories. Oh, horns. Oh, okay. This is this is getting weird now, but uh, it's a pretty cool model, honestly. I think if I were did play Lumina Realm Lords, I would get this model. It's uh, fifty five bucks, which I mean strikes me as not terrible for a character. I'm assuming he'll be over a hundred points, so that's fine. Um. There's really not much else to say about him, honestly. He's he's a really cool pose. And that's about as far as it goes. So ultimately, it's a one-that for me. But I'm not going to be buying it because I'm not going to buy some chump that holds everyone else's arrows. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Welcome, everybody, to Real Talk with the Pimp Cron, and tonight I am joined by Jason Hubbard, which is the uh, editor-in-chief of Irregular Magazine, which is a wargaming magazine. So thank you for joining with me, uh, Jason. Hi, it's very great to be here. So you and I were talking recently, and uh, you got t- telling me about um, how you started this magazine and what goes into starting a magazine for miniature wargaming. But before we get into all of that, I found that very interesting, but before we get into that, I want to um, just ask a few things about you, such as, um, obviously, you're into wargaming, right? You own a wargaming magazine. War games, RPGs, and board games. Okay. Um, specifically, the war games that you play now, what would those be? Are you historicals, or are you what? Uh, I'm primarily historicals, but I do dabble in a bit of fantasy and a bit of sci-fi. Um, I'm currently playing a lot of boat action, um, oh. Flames of War. Team Yankee, uh, SPQR, and then fantasy-wise, Frostgrave, I, I, I played Lord of the Rings, and I've just started to dabble into uh, Stargrave, which is about to drop soon from Osprey. Yeah, I've heard of that, yep. 
So it's funny that you mentioned everything except for Warhammer. Yeah, I I started off playing that back in about 83 when I first got into gaming. And I played a lot of Warhammer right up until about 6th edition, I guess. And then I just kind of, I lost interest with painting mass arm, massive armies. Mm. Um, and it wasn't just fantasy. That was historical as well. I, I used to do a lot of Napoleonic wargaming uh, and ancients. And I kind of, it was, I think, more of a case of time constraints and, you know, life impacting on your hobby. And it was easier to play skirmish games and get skirmish warbands and smaller armies painted than trying to start a new sort of large-scale force for a game. And since starting playing skirmish, I've never looked back, really. I kind of <laughs> prefer that type of gaming. Oh, well, I, I can definitely see that because uh, sometimes I still play Warhammer primarily when I'm not playing my own game, Brutality. And um, it can be quite a slog. If you've got 20 guys in one unit, they all look vaguely the same. You're painting them the same. It, it can be quite a slog. Yeah, I, and I just, I think I just sort of, I think fantasy became too much of a monstrosity as well to try and keep up with. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just sort of lost interest. And I, I lost interest with 40k for a bit as well. And and I I dipped my toe back into 40k via things like kill kilting. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I kind of like the idea of the um, new new rule system where you've got the three different levels. Like you know you can start off like a combat patrol or you know and work your way up mm -hmm. in 40k. Um, and I kind of like that. And I will probably dabble with 40k, but at a very nothing more than a skirmish very small skirmish level because i just don't have the time i certainly don't have the time anymore now that i'm playing dozens dozens of different bits and pieces i guess the next thing i would ask is that uh you said obviously you've been playing war games for a long time what possessed you to start a quarterly magazine about war gaming there was a group of us meet we're meeting up for some um beer and food and whilst we were waiting for him to sort of finish off tidying up the shop and stuff, the conversation came around about magazines. And at the time, this was back in early 2009, the only magazines in the UK that were catering for fantasy sci-fi were White Dwarf, which was obviously their, their, two, their two systems, uh, Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40K, and then Privateer Press, which was uh, Warmer Hordes, and, uh, and that was pretty much it. There wasn't really anything else being catered for, uh, and I think there were there were at least two at the time for historicals. So I wouldn't say they were well catered for, but they, you know they they at least had there was at least two different publications you could get for historicals. And then if you wanted magazines for painting articles and things like that, you were pretty much the only thing that catered for it. Well, the older articles in, in White Dwarf, or you had to pick up the military modeling magazines. Um, and they tended to be quite advanced techniques. Um, so the conversation came around that myself and another uh, lab, we were quite, we were a lot older. And we grew up in the 80s. When I was growing up, there was a lot more magazines on offer. There was catering for a whole load of things, range of um, games, everything from RPG to wargaming. 
and that back in the day, White Dwarf didn't just cover their own two systems, they covered other things. So you oh. were well catered for. Uh, and um, we moved up to the pub, the conversation continued, and I have a background in media, in design, graphics, uh, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And a few drinks went, you know, a few drinks later, the conversation had continued about the magazines, and someone said, well, how, how difficult is it to mag- put a magazine together? Slightly drunk, I went, I'm pretty sure I could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it shouldn't be that much of a problem. I've designed brochures. I've designed catalogs. Mm-hmm. I've done website planning and stuff like that. I've done project management. I'm sure I could play and whack a web magazine together. <laughs> so from that conversation, <laughs> I had sort of pegged myself into this corner. But all the other guys like, well, yeah, I could put this article. I could write this article. So, we managed to put an issue, first issue together, uh, and it was ropey. And it's you can still download that first issue, and it is really, it's not great. It's pretty good content, but design and stuff like it was, it wasn't as good as it could have been. Mm. But when we put it up online, I never expected to get, at best, to two hundred and fifty downloads, and I'd have been satisfied. I, I, that would have been. For me, that would have been good. That would have been... Sure, yeah. Um, and there was no intention to, be, to ever go beyond that first year, that one issue. It was just a, a bet I, that I could put one together. And then we put it up on the Friday. I don't think we bothered to check downloads until late Sunday. And we were already hitting 1,500 around that, around that <laughs> number in that first weekend. And we were like, we could be onto something here. Yeah. By the end of that week, it was touching two thousand, and at that point, we went, "We've got to put another one together to see if this <laughs> is just a, this is just a fluke, or there is a market for an online magazine." Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, by the time we got to the second putting up the second issue, the first issue had a roughly six thousand downloads, and that's, that's amazing. Down- that's unique downloads. And I'm, I'm well aware from my background that a magazine is considered pretty okay in the UK market if it's got a pub, um, publication circulation of about 10,000 plus. So I was like, for a bunch of amateurs, we're getting 6,000. Yeah. For a ropey put-together magazine... Because <laughs> the first issue is not great, we was like, well, there's, there's a there's a there's a market for it. There's people want magazines that are catering for fantasy and historical and painting and board games all in one hit. We've no we've no advertisements because we don't have advertisements in the magazine. Mm-hmm. Just content, uh, and. So then it just we just then continued to grow. We we brought on um, a lad called Will Kirby who started doing um, a cartoon strip for us called Tuk Tuk. Um, very very good um, illustrator, and he was a he came from that background of graphic illustration and art and comic design and stuff like that. And that's what he wanted to do. He did his own small comics um publications he so published 
So he came on board to us with us. And we made this thing of where every issue would have a unique piece of artwork on the front cover. Mm -hmm. Because this was harking back to the days of when in back in the eighties when that's what gaming magazines would have, this unique artwork. I mean, if you go and look at back at the old white dwarfs, they all had individually unique pieces of art, fantasy or science fiction pieces of art. Mm -hmm. So we kind of wanted that as well. So by issue three, we were getting a guy who was he's a concept artist, professional concept artist, creating a piece of artwork for the magazine for free. Wow. Um, uh, which is one of the, I think was one of the favorite covers from feedback because it was a, um, a zombie in the, it's in the snow. It's very, it, you would now probably look at it and think Game of Thrones because it was sort of like in the North zombie. Mm. Um, and by issue three, I think we were hitting 8,000 downloads. That's amazing. Um, and within a year, suddenly, it's. I think we there was a spark of other magazines pop, popping up there online. Um, there were suddenly guys putting together magazines for uh, um, Warhammer-based, various niche around mm-hmm. Warhammer and stuff, and various other bits and pieces. And even in the UK, suddenly there were um, print magazines coming on board. Um, there were a couple of print magazines came out at around about 2010 um, that lasted about a year and they didn't really um, survive um, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I'm not quite. I think mainly because they didn't have the distribution um, into their sort of main national sort of uh, uh, news agents or you know, I don't know if you have them over the you. Uh, like a where, newsstand. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they had that national distribution in those kind of outlets. I think they had just distribution in gaming stores, but mm. it, I, I think they needed to have survived. I think they needed to have gone into um, more mainstream newsstand mm. type sh- shops. Uh, and we, and so we've been going since then, 2009. We generally try to publish three to four issues a year. It's a bit of a slog because it's you're it's trying to get content and you're the difficulty because it is a quarterly magazine we have is that news items tend to sort of become old by the time we go to publication. So we, we can't <laughs> there are certain things like if you got will crop up and think, Oh, that'll make a great story, but by the time we, we go to publication it's old news. People won't they'd have already gone past mm-hmm. that and moved on to the next item because we're not publishing on a regular enough basis. Um, so we have to have a lot of um, created content. So over the years, a number of people have come on board and written for us and done bits and pieces like painting tutorials and various other bits and bits and pieces for us over the years. Uh, and a lot of them are then jumped off to go off and do their own things, either blogs or um, we had a guy work from Canada who was getting into the uh, publishing industry magazines and he I think he does that full time now. Um, mm-hmm. he was writing he was writing for us for a bit. Um and so, so yes yeah, so we've for some people have used it as a jumping board to other things, to other projects of their own, which is great. I, I'm I'm 
was always a big fan of zines growing up. Um, but back in those days, they were just photocopied and stapled together. I got my first taste for writing. I, as a teenager, I sent some articles to a couple of local zines. I don't really see myself as a magazine in a traditional sense, but more of a web zine magazine. magazine for a regular. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always keen when I see other guys putting up uh, magazines, online gaming magazines. Um, some stick around, stay, stay around for a bit, and some don't. But I am always quite interested in those because I've always had that interest in those type of things. I think it's um, great to see people sort of getting out, getting out and putting that sort of creativity into something like like a website or a magazine. Now, um, the, the term zines, I don't know how many Americans, I don't know if that's more of a European term or not, but I actually happen to know what that is. And I just wanted to clarify real quick. Um, zines, for the listeners that don't know, in, in my opinion, my understanding of it, is they're often like niche and um, it will be a lot of contributors, like artists or writers, and they will contribute to it. It'll come out quarterly. And like you said, a lot of times it would be like Xerox copied and handed out. Yeah. And a lot of times you would contribute to a zine. And then you would also, like as payment, you would get a copy of the zine. And it was all of this. You could see what other people are doing creatively. And, and it was usually on a very niche topic. And that's pretty what it was when, when I was a teenager. Uh, a lot of it was... Um, uh, D&D zines when I oh. was growing up um, and yeah so they, people were restric- back then were restricted to the fact that they they generally had to photocopy it uh, and it was probably typed out and cut out and mm-hmm. very homemade uh, um, but now we you know the technology is available to people a lot a far far easier than it was back then to actually produce something digitally and using desktop publishing and make it look more professional Mm-hmm. make it look like a mag a professional magazine um i i saw recently a a magazine um based on old hammer mm-hmm. um, so third fourth edition warhammer and the guys had made it look like a name the 90s version of white dwarf <laughs> nice <laughs> and it was professional it's professional it looks it looks absolutely amazing. And when I was a teenager, yeah, that wouldn't have been a, that wouldn't have been possible. We're fortunate to have the technology now to do that. So, yeah, I, I've always been kind of um, interested in magazines and zines. And so this was uh, it was a challenge and I kind of accepted it for the for worse or better. And it mm-hmm. turned out it, it turned out to, to sort of have a life of its own more than I planned it to have. Um, and we've over the years we've built up good contacts with with industry and stuff like that, and so we get stuff sent to us to review, like a normal magazine would, and stuff like like that. So it's it's been great, yeah. Yeah, it's got to be a, a tremendous amount of work because aren't they like seventy five pages? They're like a long, pretty long magazine. Yeah, yeah. we tend to hit. I think the the smallest has been about fifty pages. But they're generally sort of 70, 80, some have gone over 100, especially when we've had some uh, some guys have sent us um, what you would call a supplement. We've had a couple of pieces where someone sent us a set of rules in or a background um, mm. and we've we've um, packaged that up in the same way you would package up a supplement for a magazine. And that takes us up to like probably takes up to 120 on those issues. Um, well, what's not 
what's nice about it being a digital format is that you're not uh, limited by the uh, print restrictions, you know? No. Um, um, we have print done print versions in the past um, through, uh, I think it was Lulu. Mm-hmm. And it was just not cost effective. Oh, no. It was, it was just way too expensive. And at one point we looked, we looked at doing print copies and, and I know quite a few printers in the area, but it was still to make it cost effective. We would have to have got a thousand, 2000 copies done. And then there's no guarantee of shifting it. And then I've got mm-hmm. boxes and, and I've got boxes and boxes of a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it works out. It works out much better to be a, um, a download and people can print off. And whatever articles or pages they want, they don't, or they don't have to print it off at all. You know, they can download it onto a onto a device and read it from there and keep the copy on their device. Um, so I, yeah, I think it works out better for us as a as a as a digital version rather than print. I think it's the amount of money we would need to invest. It's funny because your your magazine does cover a bunch of different game system, a bunch of different genres, things like that, even the hobby stuff, which is a pretty interesting take because, like you said, a lot of the magazines are one specific game or one specific company. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like a variety magazine. And that's a really interesting take because even a lot of the websites, I mean, they they might have some bolt action, they might have some Flames of War, but they're predominantly, let's say, Warhammer. Or they are, you know, and they, they still kind of fall in this one rut. But it's kind of nice to have a magazine that covers a bunch of different stuff. It was basically uh, my homage to the 80s magazines I read mm-hmm. in the UK. So I would read, I used to get, growing up, White Dwarf, uh, a magazine called Adventurer. Um, I think the only niche one I got was Warlock, which I think was fighting fantasy. But at the time, White Dwarf and Adventurer covered everything. I mean, you could pick that up, and you, there'd be RPG article articles and then board game articles. There'd be gaming mag, um, war gaming articles, and hmm. even short stories and stuff like that. It was just a plethora of different stuff, and I always found that far more interesting to read because it was also a good way of finding new games. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than being stuck in one sort of bubble um and which i did for a bit i was stuck i I was for i think late 90s early 2000s was stuck in the warhammer and 40k bubble (laughs) and i didn't sort of venture out of it and then one day i just i I think i picked up a set of rules some historicals uh, and i started venturing out and then uh, after that, I just was like, that is more to life than Warhammer, Warhammer and 40K. Mm-hmm. It's funny because um, along those same lines, um, I've, I've already mentioned to you my game brutality where it uses any models from any game. And um, it's funny because all of me and my friends are Warhammer players. So we're used to playing the GW models, buying a specific army and all that. But now that pretty much all of them play brutality as well, we're finding all sorts of third-party websites that make all sorts of miniatures, and you're not limited to the the specific game. No, I I, I think I suppose it would have been around the the mid two thousands where we 
had an explosion of companies coming up. Mm-hmm. A lot of the guys leaving GW to set up their, set up their own companies. Um, and so now we're fortunate to have a, an absolute plethora of different game systems, different miniature producers, and the choice is far greater now. I would probably go to as far as to say there's probably too much choice because you can't <laughs> <laughs> you can't pin down what to play. And you're like, oh, oh, that's come out. Oh, I, so-and-so is coming. Oh, I and suddenly you're spread so thin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I tended to, in the last few years, um, being uh, moving towards what I call agnostic miniature rules. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for those that don't know what I'm meaning, is that a set of rules in where I can use any miniature I want. Mm-hmm. So one of those coming out for sci-fi is Stargrave. Um, and, and I like the fact that I don't have to buy specific miniatures for it. I can just open my box up and find some miniatures to put down on the table straight away. And I, I'm not confined to a particular line of miniatures. Um, I can field whatever I want. And, and those kind of appeal to me, those, those rule systems at the moment. Yeah. And it's funny because just like I was going to say earlier, um, a lot of us players get stuck in one game, like you said, with Warhammer, where you just you play Warhammer and that's all you do. But your magazine caters more towards the overall wargaming hobbyist. You know, like you're not stuck in a certain game. You just like wargaming. You like miniatures and trains. Yeah. And all that. I mean, we generally try to steer away from Warhammer and 40K um, because I think if you're a 40K or Warhammer player, you, there's, you're catered for mm-hmm. um, I mean, God, you're catered for more than any other system on the planet. Absolutely. Um, not you know, there's a there's a magazine that's produced specifically for you, and if you go onto YouTube or on the internet and type in Warhammer, you'll just get lists and lists and lists of content and websites and videos and and, and stuff. So we tend to to try and avoid those two systems because they're well catered for, and we try to um, look at stuff that people may not have heard of or there isn't much being catered for that's but more interest i find is 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 finding the um niche stuff game systems and the miniatures that aren't in the shops you have to order online and because quite frankly some of them are some of the best sculpted miniatures on the markets mm-hmm. a lot of the time you just don't hear of them unless someone else has told you about them more yeah becomes a nice platform for the third-party companies that aren't nearly as big as games workshop yeah yeah how do you deal with the grind of needing to come up with constant content because (laughs) it's a lot a 75 page magazine four times a year is is quite a bit of content yes well we used to do we used to get around it by doing themes um so we'd have like an undead theme and you pretty much then try and cater content around the undead uh the uh, undead uh, and that would you wouldn't necessarily mean um sort of fantasy undead trope but but anything that would kind of fit into undead mm-hmm. so you we might look at walking dead for instance and where or zombie movies and where get inspiration from some of those or look at vampire uh, so 
we use a theme and then try and build content from the theme. Currently, we've we stopped doing the themes, and um, we tend to just sort of aim to sort of things that we find that might be interesting. Because in, in a few recent issues, we've been looking at um, television programs that mm-hmm. might spark some interest or, or yeah, uh, on, on types of games you could play. But we, instead of focusing on Western TV, we've been looking at Asian TV because a lot of mm. people might overlook that and not because it's not um, English language. Um, so we've looked at um, like TV shows that would spark maybe some ideas from an Eastern perspective. Mm-hmm. Of 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 um for games um or backgrounds and stuff like that, uh, so we we kind of I, I basically just sit down and sort of look at what's going on in the industry at the time, uh, and bounce ideas around that I've seen online, um on YouTube and stuff like that, and think that's quite a good idea. But how can I, I kind of tweak it? How can I? take it a bit further and then and we'll just basically um put an article together about some something like that um other times it might be because that's we're interested in it and we think yeah. other people <laughs> might be interested in it yeah it's um, much easier to talk about something if you're interested as well yeah yeah uh, what do you have planned for your upcoming magazine can you say or we have uh, i'm going to be doing an article on uh, having too much so one <laughs> because the one thing in the last in the last 12 months I, I kind of what's been going on globally and locally and stuff like that I brought a bit of perspective and uh, and I was looking at what I have in my hobby room and I'm like how much of it have it sits on a shelf gathering dust yeah uh, and doesn't get used I mean I've got games behind me that I've bought with the intentions of playing and they've never been played and I'm just like, A, it's a waste of money. And B, with the way things of what's happened in the last one, it's made me realise you probably don't need it. And I think back, well, when we were in the club, what were we playing? And it was this, this and this and this. I was like, oh, I, I don't need half of what I need. Do we buy too much to the point of where it becomes a sort of lead weight round our neck yeah i mean the 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 famous uh lead pile or plastic gray plot um pile of shame is pretty famous for wargaming and game people yeah i I, well and i think one of the things that may really stuck out was that in the last 12 months i've managed to get a load of stuff painted i i I was just flabbergasted how much i've got painted well last count in january i think it was 300 miniatures Oh my god! I probably touched. I'm probably now about three fifty, which sounds a huge amount. And then I, like I said to friends, it's not put a dent in it. (laughs) (laughs) Three hundred and fifty miniatures should have pretty much finished your projects. (laughs) And and I was like, friends, you're fifty miniatures, and I have not put a dent into. Yeah, no, that sounds like a good idea. Is there anything else you'd like to add uh, before we wrap this up? If anyone else is got a crazy idea like i did just go ahead and do it because <laughs> <laughs> it might work out really well yeah yeah as it's people have gone on and started youtube channels and i guess when they first started they never, never expected them in the intention was just to put up some art where some 
videos online and you know have a bit of fun with it the next thing you know it's gone they've gone crazy and they've got like a million um, subscribers or viewers and stuff like that you never know what can happen that's true but you know it also takes consistency and it takes a lot of work ethic yeah because if if you were putting out one magazine every other year or something because you know you did it whenever you felt like it that that would not be as successful as putting out something people can depend on you know no i mean you're gonna have to work whatever you do you have to work at it and you have to um, be consistent but if you've got a germ of an idea I always say run with it. You never know where it might take you. Can you give us a URL to where we can find your magazine easily? Yeah, so it's www.irregular-magazine.com. That's yes. the whole backlog of all your issues. Yeah, every issue, right back to issue one. It's been a lot of fun talking to you, and uh, I appreciate you being on the show. And uh, like you said, irregular-magazine.com? Yeah. Okay, um, well. It's been a pleasure, been a pleasure chatting. <laughs>